do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some of you become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out, not the, not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a gentle spirit? Father, I ask now that the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of your holy word. That, Father, we would draw upon the wisdom of the ages, that we would draw upon you who spoke existence into being, and that, Father, you would open our eyes and we would see Jesus. Father, I praise you for this text. Father, I praise you how it has touched my heart and my soul. Father, I pray that it does the same with my brothers and my sisters. Father, we would work, we would walk worthy. We would walk in the power of the age. And Father, we would work, walk holy and solely to bring glory to you who saved us. In Christ's name, amen. I entitled this uh, section, this uh, theme, this conclusion of the fourth chapter of 1 Corinthians, the heart of a spiritual father. Because um, this letter, if you take this out, is a very harsh letter. Uh, he, deals with, uh, he deals with something that is neglected today. And, and I was just uh, I was sharing with Stephanie this week. I'm going in into the fifth chapter, and as I was looking at that fifth chapter on immorality... Uh, it dawned on me in the middle of that reviewing of myself and sort of refreshing of my mind in it that that chapter is going to be offensive uh, to this body. Uh, and, and it's dealing with immorality. And you would make the statement that immorality, how hard? Well, I got news for you. What is taught and propagated in our society today, uh, you have been inundated with. And in that, uh, just banging and hitting on you consistently, consistently, uh, you will find that some of your standards have uh, been worn down. Because I found mine. Uh, I found mine looking at um, the fact that God says, I hate immorality of any kind, period. And, and it is so severe that I have put a death penalty on it should anybody do it other than the way I state it? That's harsh. Uh, you are being inundated with the news, um, you know, the, uh, the sports news channel. What is that one? 
No, court TV. Okay? Um, on what, what has happened in Eagle, Colorado? What happened in Eagle, Colorado? Uh, in light of God's word, it's very evident. And it's very, very plain what happened in Eagle, Colorado. And I think you'd be surprised with the stance that I would take. But the problem that exists is we are so beaten down by a world system that you will find some of your standards have changed. Or you ain't even spiritualize it and say, but God is a God of mercy and grace. And He is. He is. But you can deal with it straight up when you see the heart of a spiritual father. Let me review this so this sort of all comes together in a package. All right? Because the heart of a spiritual father, verse 15 says, uh, I became your father. Okay? The heart of a spiritual father, the heart of a child of God is to reproduce. All right? To, and I'll show you this. You'll see how this all plays out. But it is to share the wealth, as to say. I have the cure for what ails man, and I want to share it with every person that I can meet. And the Apostle Paul says, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. All right? That narrows it down quite a bit. All right? It is in Christ Jesus. Uh, there's a book I read... Uh, the secret of soul winning was one of the most encouraging evangelistic how-to books that I've ever read in my life. Actually, it is the single most encouraging how-to book on evangelism I ever read in my life. Because it starts out with this statement. There is only one soul winner, and you're not him. I like that. All right? Because it is in Christ Jesus through the gospel that people are saved. You've got to understand that. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God for salvation. Anything short of that is your power. Your power. And I got news for you. I can't save anybody. Why? One soul winner. But he says, I begot you. Paul literally birthed this church. Okay? Second, in first uh, part of verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you. Alright? Um, we were looking at a text just this morning in my Sunday school class, and I'll take uh, my Sunday school class back, and it's Proverbs 25. Verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. What does that mean? Well, think about it. Does God need to shame anybody? All he has to do is make an appearance and everybody immediately is shamed. He doesn't have to shame anybody. His glory is enough to bring us all to shame. All right, so he doesn't seek to shame anybody. That's why we have the cross. But what is it that, that kings do? You've just seen it. 
Last week, there was an election in California, weren't there? And we were taking one of the uh, candidates and saying, 30 years ago, what? Okay, and what were they trying to do? Encourage this man? Strengthen this man? No, what were they trying to do? Shame this man. Now, I have to be honest with you, most of us who could fit a 30-year time frame, can you be thrilled to death what you were doing 30 years ago? Matt wasn't even conceived. <laughs> so, we don't know what Matt was into. Alright, but do you see what I'm saying? Why? It is power's desire to what? Shame people. The Apostle Paul says, I'm not trying to shame you. I am trying to change you. Because if you read chapter 5, <laughs> that's kind of embarrassing. I don't care what anybody says. All right, but he understood. Why? Because I'm warning you. I'm warning you. Then why would you do that? Well, 14b, because you are my beloved children. Beloved children. The heart of a spiritual father warns not to shame. I don't bring it out in the open to embarrass people. Um, you will hear the, the fact that people say, well, I need to go to the elders and talk about this situation because this person is in. No, you deal with it. Why? There's no shame. There's no shame. All right, if they're non-repentant after you deal with it, then you take a witness. And then it's just between you and the witness and the person who is non-repentant. The only time, biblically, that you can see where it is to be brought before the fellowship to, I guess if you wanted to call it, to shame someone, is in the case of an elder. And the reason is, is to show the seriousness of being a leader in the body of Christ. All right? And yet, in every case, I am going to confront somebody's sin solely for one reason. To admonish them. To correct them in view of a change. To correct them in view of a change. And then last week, we looked at verses 16 and 17 that, said, that gave us the reason that all of this can take place. Because the heart of a spiritual father, you will be an example. Verse 16, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. Why? I birthed you. Okay? In that process, that love that I have, and I'll deal with that again here in a moment, that love that I have that is so overwhelming, I will confront you. I will warn you in view of a change. In view of a change. Why? I want you to walk as I walk. And I'm going to show you how it works because he made this statement in verse 17. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy. Why Timothy? Because he is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. I'm going to show you how this picture looks. I'm going to give you a living illustration of what this process is. I want you to follow me, so I am sending Timothy. I'm sending Timothy. Why? He will bring 
to you remembrance of my ways, my doctrine. See, Paul's conduct was Christ-like, and he was an instrument by which God made Timothy equally Christ-like. That's amazing. That's, that's mind-boggling. But when you have the heart that is bowed to the king, that heart will make disciples. And in making disciples, you will find other hearts that will come along behind that person, and their hearts will be what? Bowed to the king. And they will look. It isn't that the people will look like Paul. They will look like Christ. I had a person one time come to me, and I was teaching out of Second Timothy, and I was talking about pursuing the Christ life, life and be perfect, your Father in heaven is perfect, be holy, your Father's holy, and all the rest of it. And they came to me with this perplexed look. They said, you're saying that I'm to be as God. I said, no, the Bible is. They said, all right. They said, but how, how bizarre notion is that? I said, well, if that's overwhelming to you, then be as Paul. Oh, okay, I'll be as Paul. I like that one. Okay? I mean, if you say, you want me to walk as Christ, how do I do that? He was incarnate deity. Okay, then walk as Paul. Because if you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, what is that? That's incarnate deity. Bummer, huh? Okay, now there are some differences. No, you're not little gods. You're not going to run around going grand poobah me. Okay? Because in him there was no darkness. You understand what that means? Um, there's no ability for Jesus Christ to sin. Right? Now, people, well, if they, he couldn't sin, then what was the big deal? You tell him that when you see him. All right? You tell him that when you see him. All right? He had no ability to sin. You were brought out of sin into righteousness. Alright, so you have a process that is going on. But Paul's conduct was so much like Christ that Christ in Timothy mirrored that conduct. See, Paul knew Timothy well enough to know that he could send Timothy in his place. See, we have a, a fractured um, society today. Most of us in this room today uh, have relatives, have moved away from family. Family, uh, in some cases, uh, uh, I know my wife's family is on the East Coast. Um, uh, my family is in uh, the middle of the country. And, and so uh, there's a disunited, uh, disunited family unit. And, and we kind of struggle with that at times. But what happens out of that is that we all become independent. All right? Because I'm making my own life. I'm making my own way, my own pattern. All right? And so we start having a disjointed view of what relationships are. Okay? I have a neighbor who works for the uh, Aurora Fire Department. And he built him a house up on the corner and all the rest of it. And I've had a chance to talk to him a couple of times. And this guy is as grouchy as the day is long. 
And, I mean, just always mad. And, and, you know, one time, him and one of the other neighbors were fighting over dogs barking and cats meowing and, and things like that. And, um, and, and I, somehow I got involved in it, and I was talking to both of them. And, uh, and they, they were kind of, and, you know, he made this comment, you know, I'm saving lives every day. I hate coming out here and having to listen to these people bellyache. And I thought, whoa. <laughs> Well, I hope nobody has to save your life because you may be slim finding somebody, okay? Because uh, your dog barks. Not only that, it looks like a pig. But uh, uh, it just, it just it was a mess, but I, I watched it. Why? And he put up these fences, and he just wants everybody out of his life. But you know what? Those are lost people. I expect that. I must say that I kind of take a heartache at the fact that some in the body of Christ choose that path also. I gave you my Sunday morning. Well, let me share with you something. How can I send you in my place if I don't know who you are or how you are? Well, it seems simple. I won't. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> okay? And then you'll have people say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in the body of Christ. Get plugged in first. If you're not faithful to what we're doing here, don't be asking what you can do outside of here. Why? Because I can't send you in my stead if I don't know who you are or what you're doing. That's what Paul's saying. Why? How did he know this? Timothy knew what he was. Timothy and him had a relationship. It was as a father-son relationship. And he knew this young man. So now then, he says this. I'm going to send him in my place. Why? Again, there is that he is beloved, but there is also that other word. He is faithful. What does that mean? Well, go back to verse 1. The stewards of Christ are what? Are required to be trustworthy. Well, how do I know if you're trustworthy? Well, he uses a term here for the steward as what? The house slave. What does that mean? He's in my home. There's a, a relationship is there because I'm dealing with him on a da daily basis. I know how he handles anger. I know how he is when he is ill. I know whether he is patient or impatient. I know what his doctrine is. Why? I have seen his doctrine affected in his work, his lifestyle. Therefore, I know he is trustworthy. Why are we trustworthy? Because we have the mysteries of God. You cannot be used in delegating the mysteries of God if you are not found trustworthy. But now I want to show you something that kind of starts wrapping them all together. 17b. He's talking about sending Timothy, his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Why? Because I know Timothy well enough that he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. Alright? Here's what else the heart of a spiritual father will do. Just as I teach everywhere in every church. Alright? The example is this. You can't teach what you're not living. It's the height of hypocrisy. 
Uh, I shared with you early in my ministry, one of my greatest fears was to walk up here one Sunday morning and realize that I have not understood the text. And so I would have to say, we're going to sing today. (laughs) Okay? And we're still wrestling. (laughs) Uh, You may not be, but me and the text are. Okay, I got over that because God has allowed me enough time to be ahead. That You know, and I've got some texts coming up here in the future that are I'm still scratching. i got a worn-out spot right there uh, that I'm still trying to figure out what's going on and, and pray that God either comes back or, you know, I surrender to what is being shown me. The one that really bothers me now is what happens if you teach a text that you're not living? That's why it says... Not many of you should be what? Teachers. Why? Judgment is harsher. If you're going to stand up here and say it, you have to ask yourself a question. Are you living it? The Apostle Paul says, I am sending Timothy, and he, by his life, will show you what I'm doing, just as I teach in every church everywhere. He will show you, Timothy will show you the principle And the principles aren't any different anywhere else. I'm not asking anything special of you, church in Corinth. Why? It's the same that I teach everywhere. Now then, I've got to kind of clear this and help you with this. I want to look at this text as a coin. If I take a 50 cent piece, regardless of which side you look at, it's still a 50 cent piece, correct? Correct. Okay, now you understand here that contextually in the historical text, I am looking at an elder, an apostle, and he's describing the heart of a shepherd. The heart of a shepherd. This is what I do as a shepherd. All right? But you need to understand something. He took a young man, beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he gave him the same responsibility. Now ask yourself a question. Is Timothy an apostle? In the office of apostle? No. But he is a messenger, correct? All right, if you take the 28th chapter of Matthew's gospel, what was the great commission? Okay, was that just the students of Paul? Who makes disciples? Every Christian. So when you read the text that says, not many should be teachers, how do you make disciples without being a teacher? See what I mean? So there's always teaching that has to take place. But the office of teacher... Be careful before you're willing to step into the office. Yet to make a disciple, I must teach. All right? From a two-sided coin, one side, this is the shepherd's heart. The other side, this is the discipler's heart. If I am going to replicate, part of what I will do is bring forth. And that bringing forth because of my love of, of bearing that child, I will warn them. And the reason I will warn them is I will want them to live a life as I live. So they will be an example of what I am doing. But in doing that, I have to set principles for them to understand that life. That is where teaching 
comes in. In Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, Paul taught principles and he lived those principles and he reproduced those principles in other people. Did you get that? I want you to grab what I just said. All right? Paul taught principles. Paul lived those principles. And in doing those two, he reproduced that same in other people. What would you call that? It's discipling. It's discipling. The question I posed to you last week was simple. Do you have anyone that you can say is a child that you have brought forth? And in doing so, has your love for that child been such that you can send that child in your place in any given circumstance? And if you say yes, I say hallelujah. If you say no, I just give you the answer why not. All right. For me to teach principles, what's the first thing has to happen? No. I have to know the principles. Listen, brothers and sisters. If you don't open your Bible, you don't know the principles. If you think that I'm long-winded and I can teach for an hour on Sunday and that's all you need, you will never, ever, ever, ever make disciples. Okay? It's impossible. How many hours are in a week? A lot. And if you're getting one hour of feeding a week, what will you be at best? Yeah. Starving. Okay? So first and foremost, for me, before I could ever teach, I have to do what? I have to be taught. I have to know what the principles are. Because after I know what the principles are, then they become my life. They will become habits. In that process, now I have principles that I am now living. If I am doing those two, you will reproduce. The problem is, I believe in the church in America, is we are reproducing exactly what we have. We have people who are not taught, who are not living, and we have churches who are not taught and not living. So we are reproducing. Let me show you, because this, I'll be honest with you, there's a part of me gets frustrated with this. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Because I believe for Castle Rock Baptist Church right now, I'm not going to talk about the church in Corinth. I'm going to talk about the church in Castle Rock. I want to talk about you who are here this very day. We are at a crossroads. And I believe that this crossroads is this text right now for this moment. Okay? And here's why I say that. Paul, telling the young man that he's about to die, 
and you're going to take over where I've left over. This is the end of Paul's life where the letters to the Corinthian church are the beginning. Actually, it's the third missionary trip of Paul. And it's not the middle of Paul's ministry, but it's, uh, Paul's got some, uh, some, uh, some good stuff has happened. All right, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. All right? Uh, literally, he's saying, Stand in what you already have. All right? The things which you have heard in me, heard from me, what? In the presence of many witnesses. The word witnesses there is, is like you would have at a, a, at a court. I have many witnesses that will testify of the things that you have heard from me. Okay, if I had uh, someone was bringing an accusation and I have all of these witnesses that say the accusation is not true, I have many witnesses. So he's saying the things that has not been, never been compromised because everybody have I've ever been around have had to hear it. All right, what you've heard in many witnesses, what does he say do? To who? When he sent Timothy back to the church in Corinth, what was the two primary reasons that he sent Timothy? Beloved, faithful, faithful. My love towards him, his response towards me. That's that same thing people struggle with on God's will and man's will and all the rest of it. Right? It's a, it's a coin. It's the same one. All right? Paul said because of my love for this young man, Timothy, he did what? Was faithful. What does that mean? He was there. He was there. It is very difficult, I have learned, to teach people who aren't there. Okay? I remember I went to the International Conference on the Bible. I think it was in 98, I think it was. All right, 19, no, it was longer than that. I don't know when it was. But MacArthur had just come out with his study Bible, and they brought the big guns out. I mean, they had some phenomenal, I mean, the preaching there, you just sort of like, whoa, I was just expecting the roof to open and we all just went to heaven. Okay, because we had Adrian Rogers, we had Stephen Olford, we had David Jeremiah, we had Joe Stoll, we had uh, John MacArthur, we had... Uh, uh, who? Tony Evans and, and all of them. I mean, and everybody taught two sermons for a little over an hour. And you just like, oh, okay. And you did, right? And you asked my wife. You just sort of, oh, oh, oh. Right. Well, that's how it was. You're like, is this rapture? I don't know. And maybe it's a California earthquake. All right. And somebody asked John MacArthur, are you going to do this again? And John said, no. He says, you can never replicate what was done here. We may have another conference on the Bible, and we may have some great pastors, but you will never be exposed to what has just taken place. And I've got the tapes. And I mean, you just, and the tapes are great. But I've got to be honest with you. They kind of lost something. Why? I was there. I was there. There's nothing greater than to have several thousand pastors, church leaders, and their wives, and this huge choir singing praises to God. I used to think that people, uh, you became a preacher because you can't sing. Well, that's what I thought. You got those who can sing, and then you have preachers. Okay? 
Um, you put 2,000 of us together, we sing pretty good. Okay? Well, I don't know. We're loud. <laughs> but I don't know. Who, but 2,000 of us together, uh, those who can't carry a tune in a bucket, you can't tell it. All right? Why? Timothy was with Paul. See, Timothy understood what Paul went through. Uh, there was a city where Paul had gone in and preached the gospel. And they had a, 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 a sort of a different response to the gospel. They stoned him and took him outside and left him for dead. Guess what young man was born and raised in that city? Timothy. Do you know what Paul did after he was stoned and left for dead? He went back in and preached. Now listen, if you're a young man and you're sitting there going, I'm following that guy because he's a nut. No. Why? Look what his God has done. So what does it do to what does it take to make a disciple? You must teach it, you must live it, you must reproduce it. The key to that is, do you know it? Do I understand it well enough to teach it? Now listen, as Paul taught, and if you did a cursory study of the Apostle Paul, as you would do, if you did a cursory observant of this, this body of believers, it would be obvious that the Apostle Paul, it also is obvious of this body of believers that we definitely believe in teaching, don't we? And the, the fundamental to that is you can't live the principles if you don't know what the principles are. If I don't know what God is about, how do I teach other what God is about? Somebody said, God never put a premium on ignorance. Unquote. Terry would put it this way. There's no value in being stupid. Okay? What is amazing... To is that we are to know and we are to know our way around the Word of God. That's not the pastor's responsibility. It's not the elder's responsibility. It's not the Sunday school teacher's responsibility. If you are a child of God, you are to at least very minimal know how to get around in your Bible. Paul says, I am teaching principles and I am teaching the same principles always and these are the basic principles of the Christian life. The, for every child of God. It isn't, that's one of the things I get annoyed about when they say that the Timothy and Titus letters are pastoral epistles. No, they're not. Timothy was a beloved child in the faith. It isn't a standard. Well, the, you know, I don't study those two books because that's like I heard a guy tell us, well, I'm, why are you, when we were studying the book of Hebrews, why are you teaching Hebrews? That's for Jews. What? And I said, it's obvious you've never studied Hebrews, huh? Listen, I, I really need you to get this. And the reality is this. We are at a time in our society that is similar to Corinth. Our society is identical to what I see in Corinth. And I'm not talking about 
the society of America. I'm talking about the society in the church. The church looks like the church in Corinth. And the reason is, first and foremost, I'm afraid that many don't know the principles, so maybe it's a good thing they're not teaching. But I, I, that drives me crazy. Our denomination says that since a person gets saved, they need to teach Sunday school so they'll spend more time in the Bible. Ah! Gadzooks! That's spooky! Paul says, I teach everywhere the same gospel on the same planet. It doesn't change. Dr. Stephen Olford told me this one time, I preach only the gospel to all and every continent in every church. Unquote. He doesn't change it, whether it's Ethiopian, Nigerian, Chinese, Japanese, Australian, South American, North American, European. He teaches the same gospel. He teaches the exact same principles over and over again. Why? It's not that complicated. Absolute truth is only absolute. The Bible is only absolute. And that absolute truth will be absolute everywhere. It's the same for everybody. It's never a cultural thing. Paul is saying it isn't any different for you or for me or for anyone. And so Timothy will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. The same as I teach everywhere. The key to that thing is, is do I know? And then if I know, now am I ready to take what I know and impart it to somebody because I can say my life is living these principles. And as my life lives these principles because these principles are the ones that I know, then I am willing and able to reproduce. You know, I think about so many Christians don't share their gospel because most people don't believe they're Christians to start with. There's a different person in the workforce or in the public force than there is in the church body. I see a lot of people. I remember a time in my life that what I said was not what I want. You know, I had the person that I lived out here and I worked in construction and I had this person over here who was a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, what has happened is you don't know the principles. When it says you have been bought and paid for with the price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, do you understand what that means? You weren't bought and paid for for weekends. You were bought and paid for. Period. You are not your own. You are no longer mastered by sin. You are mastered by Christ. When? All the time. And as I take those principles in, and what does it mean to serve the living Lord? Then guess what? It becomes me. It becomes the operating system of my life. Every focus and every decision I make in my, in my life, the day-to-day, -day mundane, crazy, you know, do I balance my checkbook this time, or do I do this, or do I pay this bill, or change this oil, is always based on, Christ, what would you have me do at this point in time? And then I can look, and guess what will happen? God will bring into your life faithful people. Those I invest in. Think about it. 
I see too many gifted teachers right now who are out trying to reach all these people and they're wasting their time. Why? Instead of me pursuing people, I sit and study principles in case I run into faithful people. Which, is, which one do you suppose has the bigger bang for the buck? God's ways or man's ways? God says, you entrust them to faithful men who are able to teach. Why? They take in the principles, they teach the principles because they're living the principles, and they will do what? Reproduce. Those of you in this fellowship that are faithful to the teaching and faithful to the fellowship are doing what? Reproducing. Why? It becomes your life. See, God's not going to let you go out and reach the world if you don't live what you're teaching. Do you know? Do he really wants to be embarrassed by you? Is this common? Does it make sense? You know, some of you are, I can't tell if it's making sense or you just, well, we should move on. All right, because I don't feel like doing it. But see, at the heart of a spiritual father is reproduction. Is reproduction. But I cannot reproduce if I don't know. Which means I need to be seeking out my spiritual father so he will do what? Teach me the principles. So that will do what? Control my life. It's just like our kids. I mean, if you have kids, I teach my kids principles. Why? So it controls their life. Why? And here's the thing. You can come to this church and you'll have to say that Terry definitely spends way too much time in the Bible sometimes, doesn't it? But if you were to ask my son, my youngest son, who is the video PlayStation 2 master of the universe, if you asked him what does his dad spend most of his time doing at home, what would you suppose my son would say? Beating him on PlayStation 2. No. <laughs> he would say, reading the Bible. In the Bible. Okay? If you ask my family, do I mandate at 4.15 every day we have a devotional time and at sunrise on such and such day we have a quiet prayer time and things like that, you will find that I do not mandate that. Why? I don't do that. I don't do that. But if you see my life, you will say my life is controlled by the Word of God. Period. If you ask my son... He will say, yep, dad spends a lot of time in the Bible. All right? Then the time that he sees me in the Bible and the actions that I make and the decisions I make in my household, you can say, look, I can see that by what dad is doing, his decisions are based on these principles that he learned where? In the Bible. Okay? So my kids, uh, see, if I force my kids into prayer time and Bible studies, all I'm going to make is a Pharisee. It's all I get. It's all I've ever seen. It's Pharisees. A bunch of little, ugh. Snakes, Jesus called them. All right? I don't want snakes. I want faithful men. Teaching and applying, because if I teach and I apply, then I'm setting the pattern that God says in Christ, 
It will birth more. It will birth more. All right, you know, I got a little note here. What do we say about the teaching at Castle Rock Baptist Church? Well, if you look at it this way, we're evaluating ourselves on Sunday night in light of Scripture. What does Scripture say? On Monday nights, we are studying the book of Romans. On Tuesday nights, we are studying the biblical understanding on spiritual leadership. On Wednesday night, we are studying the T-books, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Timothy, Timothy, Titus. Okay, Uh, we're still in 2 Thessalonians. All right. On Thursday nights, we're studying the same T-books. And on Friday night, we are doing what? Praying about all the things we just studied all week. All right, and then on Saturday, I spend my time getting ready to preach this message on Sunday morning, finishing it up so as to be ready for what? First Corinthians. Okay, what would you say the focus of Castle Rock Baptist Church is? The Word of God and ladies' poker nights, right? <laughs> We're taping this, aren't we? Oh, man. We'll have to make sure this one doesn't get out of the walls. All right. When you are in the situation of being a spiritual father, you need to remember one thing. All right? First and foremost, as I take the information in, if I do get a privilege to preach, to teach, I need to be practical and I need to be simple. Please remember those two. I see people who get intimidated, and part of it is my fault. They go in there and they say, what does Terry do to study? And they start looking around on your desk. And, well, when they find my desk, they, then they say, look, there's stuff under all this paper. Uh, look, a book. And then they'll find, uh, you know, a Greek New Testament. And they find, uh, anyway, they find a lot of weird stuff on there. And they say, well, how in the heck do you study the Bible if you've got to have all these books? You don't have to have all those books. You know what? I am positive the Apostle Paul never had a concordance. I also know for a fact that he never had a Greek dictionary. All right? All right? Um, At the point in time, the treasure of Scripture knowledge, which I believe is the greatest book besides the Holy Writ, uh, didn't exist because R.A. Torrey wrote it, and he took over Moody's place uh, in Chicago, so there's a time gap. All right? Let me share with you something. If you can't read the Bible, then you're illiterate. All right, if you have the ability to read, read the Bible. Read it. That's all you have to do. People say, what do you do to study? I read it. How often? Every day. Every day. Why? Well, I found that it's really an amazing process. You read that bugger, all of a sudden, <laughs> it makes sense. But I don't believe that we read. We read books about the Bible, we read books, or we have the remote control. And it ain't on the TV. I've looked. <laughs> All right? I mean, think about it. We've got 500 TV stations. Now you've got 500 channels of nothing. Don't you feel special? Why? What do you do with your time? What's the priority of your time? I mean, to be a living sacrifice is the priority of my time. What's the priority of my time? Scripture. Scripture. Um, You know, practical is practical. All right? How practical is this? All right? We want to talk about the sovereign God. 
Okay, God's sovereign. Right? We've all heard the statement before. He's sovereign. What does that mean? He's king. He rules. How practical is this for you? I have somebody comes into my office and asks me about the sovereignty of God, and I say, well, you need to understand God is patient because God is not bound by time, therefore not being bound by time. I'm not sure how patience of God even enters into the picture. What's the practical understanding of that? I see people who want to get stuff like that, and what I see is a person who's got absolutely no, no practical use in the body of Christ. Why? Who cares? He's not bound by time. But you know what? Neither is a child of God. I'm not bound by time. I'm free. Okay? So how patient am I? See what I mean? Now, I just took something that people like to get into some esoteric understanding and said, well, you need to be patient because you're not bound by time either. All right? That's making... You've got to understand something. Uh, Isaiah 40, uh, Tom read it last week. Verse 12 says this. The waters of creation fit in the hollow of His hand, and the span of His hand is creation. Okay? What does that mean to me? You don't want Him to flick you. <laughs> if He goes like that, fling! All right? You move to a different dimension. All right? But sometimes we like to get into what we think is intellectualism. Look how smart I am. And the truth of the matter is, what do you do? Uh, John MacArthur made this statement, we must crucify our intellectualism, our academics, and get down to a humble place and teach on a basic level. Unquote. You know, I took a, a year of Greek um, down in a Presbyterian seminary in Colorado Springs. And you know what I learned from that class? I know why Greek is a dead language. Why? All it was was memorized. You've got to memorize all of this stuff. For what purpose? I got a computer that I can go and put an arrow on and let it hover over it. I don't even have to click the button. I just put the arrow on it and all of a sudden it parses it out, tells me what verse, uh, what voice it's in, what mood it's in, what it's being used for, all the times that it's used in the New Testament when it's in the noun form and in the verb form. Why would I take a Greek class? All on one and I don't even I'm afraid to click the button. What would it do then? But it just hovers. Just hover over the... And it goes... And you're like, oh, okay, great. And then if you let off of it, it disappears. And you're trying to write and hold and, and see. And when I took my Greek class, the, the professor said, now I need to share with you gentlemen and ladies that this class should not impede your walk with the king. <laughs> Joe Sedbury dropped out. So there... <laughs> I made it. But again, the one thing I learned was, I know why this is a dead language. All right? Um, and and I, I, I think about that. There's times that we get so massive that the people are kind of sitting there like, uh, what? Um, 
I think what happens is that I come to the point where I say, can I answer the questions of the little ones? Can I make the complex simple? And some people say, yeah, you're simple. Um, but um, I, you need to ask yourself some questions as you look at Scripture. Did the Lord make this complicated? Is there anything more complicated than the thinking process of God who spoke existence into being? Nah. Okay, so did he make it complicated? He said, I spoke it into existence. And I have seen text written on what that means. I know what it means. Now. And there it is. That's not hard. But how do I get a text out of that? You know, just a lot of, a lot of pages in the middle it says, now. All right? He, he made simple to us because we are his creation. How can God... Here's a, here's a question, and, I, and I, I remember doing this. Remember when I took that one uh, vacation Bible school class? And I made them all put their... I had these little hats, and they all put their thinking caps on. Yeah, I had preschool class. But I'm good, huh? I taught them dispensationalism. But, uh, uh, oh. I just fell off the planet. Um, how can God... You know, I remember talking to uh, Slack's little grandkid. I can't remember what his name was. Anyway, I remember asking him, and he looked at me and he said, how can God be in my heart and in heaven at the same time? Okay? And that kid ain't but that tall. And I, and I was talking about Jesus in your heart and all the rest of it. And I said, well, he's everywhere. I mean, how else do you answer that? You know what his response was? Does that mean like he's really fat? Okay, so you know what my response was for that? Well, actually, it means he doesn't have a body. Oh, now I've done it, made it real simple. God's everywhere. He's not really fat. And he ain't got no body. Hmm. And you're telling me to put on my thinking cap. That's the way it is with our spiritual children. That's the way it is with our spiritual children. Um, you know, I think about the doctrine of predestination. Uh, it's one of my, I think it was my second sermon I ever preached to this body of believers. And uh, the response I had, um, we'll call it miraculous. <laughs> uh, and what dawned on me as I pressed on through this text was that I don't have any ability to explain this to anybody. None whatsoever. If you want to know the doctrine of, of predestination, guess what you need to do? Study it yourself. Because you know what? I, I understand it absolutely completely. It is one of the greatest understandings that I've ever gotten from Scripture. But what I've also learned out is I can't explain it to a person. And people say, you understand? Absolutely, completely. It makes absolute sense to me. But I can't teach it. Why? Because you can't hear it unless God shows it to you. And if you're back here struggling with your decision-making ability and all the rest of it, you'll never hear what a preacher is saying about it nor what God's Word is saying about. Uh, to, to spiritual children, we need to sometimes be humble enough aware um, I don't care about the intellectual side of it, the intellectual things about it. Um, and, and you hear these manifest themselves. Well, if that is true, what about this? Well, it is true, and what about this never happened? 
Okay, and here's here's a for instance. Well, what if Israel had accepted Messiah instead of crucifying him? What would have happened? They didn't. They wouldn't. They couldn't. Why? Because God said they wouldn't and they couldn't. Well, that don't seem fair. Well, grace don't seem fair. Is that sure the path you want to follow? If you want fair, pursue it with gusto. I'm taking grace. All right, but I hear a lot of people start getting wrapped up in this stuff. And what I'm saying is, you're just taking the very simple and complicating it. Don't forget, um, uh, education, to educate a person, uh, is, is a struggle to communicate something that is practical and is simple. And I know you guys are all sitting there saying, well, sometimes you succeed and sometimes you don't even understand what you just said. Okay, John Stott put it this way, phenomenal book, uh, Between Two Worlds, and he said this, and I quote, If we love them, our objective will not be to impress them with our learning, but to help them with theirs, unquote. Um, Pastor Bishop Ryle said this in a book he wrote called Simplicity of the Preaching. To attain this, they were not ashamed to crucify their style, sacrifice their reputation for learning, and carry out the maxim of Augustine, who said a wooden key is not as beautiful as a golden one, but if it can open the door when a gold one can't, it's far more useful, unquote. Correct? Yeah. I, I, you know, I can get up here and give you some Greek words and just sit there and watch everybody look just like you are right now. And <laughs> there we go. But what do we accomplish? If we think in the knowledge of Christ, then we read his parables. Are they simple? What is the knowledge of Christ? Well, before foundation of the world, God the Father said, I wish to show to God the Son my unconditional, holy, completely ununderstood love for my Son. And in doing so, I wish to present Him an eternal gift, which He can't even comprehend because we're discussing it right now. And that gift will be a redeemed humanity, which nothing in existence exists yet, but I'm going to make one so that I can pull out of it a redeemed humanity, form it into His image, His body, so it will be His bride, and He will present it back to me as his offering that he received it in such a way that I get the glory. Did you get it? That's what it's all about. You know where I learned that? Second Corinthians. When did that happen? Well, shortly after that, he said, let us make man in our image. Okay? How do you understand that? I don't know. I can just tell you what it says. I got one that can blow you away with that. Think about this one. This is one you can meditate on. All right? You in the leadership class cannot use this for a prayer. All right? <laughs> all right? When glory is exalted, you will know as you are known. Ponder that for a moment. 
I knit you in my mother's womb. The hairs of your head I have numbered. The days I have numbered, I know you the moment of your existence, and I know the moment that you will cease to exist. And you will know the same way. Ooh! <laughs> you think that bothers you? It bothers me. That's the 13th chapter of this letter, and I'm trying to figure out, can I preach long enough that I don't have to deal with that until the second coming? Then I can say, see? <laughs> we know as we are known. <laughs> That's what I meant. And yet Jesus made it simple for us. I'll take you back just a few weeks ago. Actually, I think it was about a year ago. Chapter 1, verse 26. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen Terry, or it's also translated the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame those who are strong. The base of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. We don't have to puff up with our intellect. We don't have to puff up with our, our esoterical uh, hyperboles or uh, weird stuff like that. Why? Because I'll take you back a few weeks. In the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians, I shared with you verse 9. But the context of that text I want to share with you begins in verse 4. Because in verse 4 he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Okay, when am I supposed to rejoice in the Lord? What does it mean to rejoice? It's easy. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Not complicated. It isn't, how is it parsed in the Greek? What voice? What tense? What mood? It says rejoice. When? Always. Just in case you didn't get it. Again, I say... Rejoice. Why? Why should I do this? Because that will allow my gentle spirit to be known to all men. The Lord is near. If I'm rejoicing in the Lord always, they will know I'm gentle and they will also know what? The Lord is near. All of that will do what? Will make you anxious for nothing. Anxious for nothing. But in everything and by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And you'll know that your God is listening because what happens? The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's not complicated. Finally, brethren, in light of rejoicing and prayer and thanksgiving, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, what is true, what is honorable, what is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, what does it say? Dwell on them. Meditate on them. Immerse yourself in them. Why? 
Because we have a propensity to dwell on negativity. It is our nature. And the things you have just learned from me, received and heard, and what? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. How cool is that? Why? Because then you will bring forth children of God. Then you will know the love that surpasses all understanding, a love that God has poured in your heart. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says, you will also have a burden for these children that God will bring forth through your testimony, through what you dwell on, through the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, guarding your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, that you willingly and lovingly will warn in movement to a change so you don't have to shame them. And your life will bear such fruit because people will look at you as an example and then you will understand what it is to have trustworthy men coming to you that you may entrust them what you have been given. You'll make disciples. You'll make disciples. That is my heart. That is my passion. You guys never would have guessed that, would you? To the point that I will borrow from my brother Paul. In his uh, second letter, the church in Corinth, chapter 12, verse 15. See, when I am teaching and living the principles that I teach, I will reproduce, I will bring forth. In that bringing forth process, as people come to saving knowledge, of Christ through the ministry that Jesus Christ has given unto me, I will warn. It will based be on my love for those people. It will also be that I will want them to be mimics, imitators of myself because I am pursuing the things of Christ. And the reason that will move this is that I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. How can a person who is a father, a husband, take time to invest into that many people those many things? In chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, verse 11, why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. But what am I doing? I will continue to do. What I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity for those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the manner about which we are boasting. What? Let me make it simple for you. So I can protect you from arrogant, boastful people who would deceive you with what they perceive as great words of wisdom. Therefore, guarding you against disqualification. Principles. 
the life you will teach. It's discipling. Father, I love you and I praise you for these words. I praise you for my brother Paul. Lord, uh, the amazing things which you have shown me through his text. Father, uh, search me. Father, let me walk as my brother walked. Father, I fear not. You are with me. But Lord, I lift up this body of believers. Father, I know what they mean to me. Father, I can only imagine what they mean to you. You hung on a cross for them. Father, may it be the desires of every saint in this room to reproduce. May it be the desire of everyone who hears to know the deep things of God, that they may be equipped to give reason for the hope that exists in them. And Father, may you bring faithful men that we may joyously rejoice in entrusting your wonder, your ways to every soul that you give us. Thank you, my king, for what you have done. Thank you, my king, for what you will do. To your praise, in Christ's name, amen.